thank you for the kind words. For those who don't know, Mark is the highest cited youngest professor and uh, he is amazing. He also gets so much done, he makes all of us feel inadequate. Um, among his skills are he's a personal um, advice giver on great fantasy sci-fi TV viewing. So I've gotten a lot of great tips. And then he also looped me into this wonderful group, the Legal Geeks, who have um, raised my standing with my kids because for um, two consecutive Denver pop culture cons, I've been involved in what was a meaningful and fun set of conversations. And at the one this past fall, um, Josh, who we'll hear from, and I were chatting and I said, I wonder if we could have a fun virtual event that would be reproducing or um, replicating what we did there, which was evaluating the case for and against Wanda Maximoff. And I owe Josh and Mark a thank you for encouraging our whole family to watch WandaVision, which if you haven't watched it, well, there'll be some spoilers, but I think it will hopefully also encourage you to watch it. And Josh, thank you for saying absolutely. And the goal of this is to have fun, to support a good cause, and hopefully encourage people to think. The discipline that lawyers have is what Mark talked about. We work together, we listen, operating in a structure of the rule of law to solve problems. That enterprise, the rule of law, a democratic republic, is not something we can take for granted. People who actually try to listen to one another and work together to solve problems. Having a system based on evidence and fairness. That's what I believe. That's what I'm committed to do. And before we talk a little bit about what that means, including a lot of the tech law issues that may come up in one shape or form, we want to give you the entertainment portion of this evening. We have two able advocates for the prosecution, two for the defense. I will render my verdict. I'm wearing my appropriate uh, robes. But of course, we believe in due process of law, evidence, and arguments. So let the argument begin, and Connor can help remind us who goes first in this. All right. Um, well, due to time constraints, we will be picking up with closing arguments. So please all just imagine that you've been sitting through a multi-week trial. Um, to kick things off, we will have Mark Lemley and Bethany Bangfort for the prosecution. Nope. nope. Other way around. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. I was reading wrong thing. <laughs> Josh Gilliland and Nara Eli for the prosecution. Thank you. Hello, Your Honor. May it please the court. My name is Joshua Gilliland and I'm for the people. This case is about the 3,892 people Wanda Maximoff held against their will in the town of Westfield. And since we are in a world of androids, aliens, or wizards, this case has two out of those three, unless there are some shape-shifting aliens and secret invasion, but luckily we don't have that problem. The facts will show that Ms. Maximoff acted with intent in turning the citizens of Westview into her own personal puppets and her house of M. While the defense may argue that Ms. Maximoff was traumatized by her killing the android vision in Wakanda before the decimation, that does not constitute a legal excuse for tormenting others by making them act out physical, 
fictional homages to classic TV shows for all to see on UHF. To be, <clears throat> to be blunt, we all got dead people. That does not give license to harm others. This is a case, isn't a case about witchcraft. It's about the rule of law and what it means to be a hero. The first charge is false imprisonment. The evidence will show beyond a reasonable doubt that the defendant committed false imprisonment by knowingly detaining 3,892 people without their consent or legal authority. They were all held for more than 12 hours. We believe nine days, making this a class five felony with a three-year penalty for each victim that will put the defendant away for over 11,000 years. Let's talk about this hex where all were imprisoned. Wanda, the Scarlet Witch, exited the hex to confront federal law enforcement, specifically Director Hayward of Sword, where she threatened federal law enforcement with their lives and saying, leave me alone. She knew she was holding nearly 4,000 people prisoner and wanted to keep it that way. All these facts will show Wanda Maxwell knowingly detained the citizens of Westview against their will and was willing to kill in order to do so. The second charge, second degree kidnapping. The law states any person who knowingly seizes and carries any person from one place to another without his consent and without lawful justification commits second degree kidnapping. Any person who takes, entices, or decoys any child not his own under the age of 18 with the intent to keep or conceal the child from his parent or guardian or with the intent to sell, trade, or barter such child for consideration commits second degree kidnapping. Well, let's talk about the children. And Wanda's second broadcast with her talent show, there are no children in sight in Westview. In her final episode, again, no children on the city streets, all adults. The children of Westview were hidden in the defendant's Halloween fantasy. Parents were forced to ignore their children's existence, leaving them to be out of sight and mind. That is the intentional concealment as of children. Moreover, using human beings as puppets, moving them from across town for the defendant's fantasies is forcefully seizing individuals and moving them from place to place. Consider the testimony of Sarah Proctor, who shared her horror story, how Wanda Maximoff forced her to be Dottie Jones in the defendant's short-lived TV series, denying Ms. Proctor from even seeing her own child. The defendant held every child in Westview against their will and had no intention of giving them back until her fantasy was brought to an end, ironically, by another witch. Just goes to highlight for all involved, two witches don't make a right. All of these actions show and meet the requirements for second degree kidnapping. Finally, 
criminal copyright infringement. Some might chuckle at this, but when you realize the defendant broadcast her fantasy for all to see on UHF, we have a new crime at place. All 3,892 people in Westview were unwilling extras in the defendant's production of sitcoms from prior decades with her own personal spin, a Mary Sue of sorts, living out her fantasies. The fact that defendant broadcast her crimes on UHF opens the door for criminal copyright infringement. The elements include the broadcast for the purpose of commercial advantage or private financial gain. It's, there's the reproduction or distribution, including electronic means uh, during any 180 day period or of one or more copies of records or one or more copyright works, which have a total retail value of $1,000 or more, or by the distribution of work being prepared for commercial distribution by making it available on a computer network accessible to other members of the public. Now, as we look at this, let's take a look at another beloved show, Bewitched, which ran from September 17th, 1964 to March 25th, 1972. As such, there would be a valid copyright of this television series that expires in 2067. If we look at the opening credits of Wanda's World versus Bewitched, we can see similarities between the two. Moreover, as we look at scenes, we can tell that they're heavily similar, if not outright confusing. And finally, the sickest point of all, the neighbor's house is exactly the same. Sure, it's been remodeled, but that level of fascination with pop culture and having the same house, you know the type of evil that's being played here. Finally, let's talk about the insanity defense. The defendant knew exactly what she was doing when she committed her crimes. And our expert testimony by Dr. Ditko explains that sure, Wanda was someone who survived all kinds of trauma. She was in a disassociative state of state, but that was not continuous. Sure, there were emotional triggers, but they ended. And when you look at how Wanda behaved, she knew what she was doing. Let's look at four quick points showing that she controlled her facilities. She took four separate actions that included she asked the vision to Counselor, your time is up. Please wind up. She knew what she was doing. And when it comes down to it, heroes do what's right. And only right can make right. Thank you, Council. Now we will hear from Mark Lemley and Bethany Bangfort for the defense before a prosecution rebuttal. Good evening to the court and to the ladies and gentlemen of the jury. My name is Bethany Bangfort, here with my colleague, Mark Lemley, and we're here to explain to you why you should ignore the government's false and insidious charges against our client, Wanda Maximoff. Let's go over what we know. First, Wanda is a hero. She has saved the world over and over again at immense personal cost. She lost her brother for us. She lost her husband for us. She lost her children for us. And time and time again, when she had to choose between being selfish and doing what's right, she has always chosen what's right. 
That's who she is. Second, the government will stop at nothing to bring Wanda under their control. They have made it clear that their top priority is weaponizing enhanced individuals like Wanda, and they will run rampant over any human right and moral boundary to make it happen. I mean, criminal copyright infringement? Come on. Third, at no point during the events in Westview did Wanda have any clue what was happening. She had just lost everything in her life that was important to her, lost five years of her life, fought in a battle against the terror of the multiverse, and watched the government defile the corpse of the one she loved. Would anyone be in their right mind if all that happened? Fourth, Wanda didn't seek to harm anyone. She didn't threaten anyone. She didn't use weapons against anyone. She didn't use physical force against anyone. She didn't deprive them of food or water or feed them poison or deprive them of sleep. She may have influenced people, but they were moving with their own two feet, living in their own homes, carrying on their, their own lives when Wanda wasn't even around. Fifth, within minutes of understanding what was happening, she immediately released everyone from the hex and sacrificed her own children to remove the spell. If that isn't evidence of her good intent, what is? And finally, while Wanda may not have understood the full situation of what was happening, there was someone who did. And that person, ladies and gentlemen, we present to you is the real villain. All right, Wanda is a hero. We don't really need to talk about this. All of you know she saved the world. Now, why would the government wanna persecute Wanda? Well, she refused to sign the Sokovia Accords and if they charge her with any crime, the Sokovia Accords give them the right to detain her indefinitely. This gives them leverage over her and allows her them to use her as a weapon, which is clearly what they've been doing. And so let's talk about criminal copyright infringement for a second. Now, the prosecution didn't go over some of the main elements of criminal copyright infringement, including that the infringement must be done for the purposes of commercial advantage or private financial gain. There is no evidence here that anything that she did related to the sitcoms was for commercial advantage. And also while they showed pictures of houses that looked similar and like similar looking things, Wanda's sitcoms were influenced by a variety of shows. She didn't copy specific things from, directly from one of them. She took a lot of various elements from different shows and put them together as an homage. Now, this is fair use. Well, first of all, ideas like having a house or a neighbor, things like that are not copyrightable. And even if they were, it would be protected by fair use because her sitcoms transformed the material and parodied them, poked fun at them. So let's talk about kidnapping. Now, the prosecution wants you to believe that Wanda kidnapped all of the kids in Westview. You can't kidnap someone who's in their bed, in their house, and whose parents know exactly where they are. That's not seizing and carrying. If it was, every parent who put their child in timeout would be kidnapping. Now, the prosecution also argues that Wanda used people as puppets, and that qualifies as seizing and carrying. What does that even mean? Wanda didn't exert visible force against anyone. She didn't threaten them. They were in their homes, in their own neighborhood. While she may have exerted some measure of mental influence over them without realizing it, that's not illegal. Persuading someone is illegal. Being charismatic isn't illegal. So false imprisonment and criminal copyright infringement and kidnapping for that matter, they require that the perpetrator knowingly confine or detain the victim without the victim's consent. There is no evidence here that Wanda knew what was happening. And in fact, there is a lot of influence that she didn't. Now let's look at the definitions first. Knowingly means consciously or with knowledge or complete understanding of the facts and circumstances of the crime involved. Willfully means voluntarily and intentionally and with a specific intent to do something the law forbids. And remember, the prosecution must approve all of these elements beyond a reasonable doubt. 
So if there is any doubt that Wanda knew what she was doing, then you must acquit her. So what did Wanda know? Let's look at look at some video puppets we've seen. Wanda, Dottie, my name is Sarah. I have a daughter, she's eight. Maybe she could be friends with your boys. If you like that storyline or uh, the school bully even, really anything, if you could just let her out of her room, if, if I could just hold her, please. What are you doing to her? You're making her say this. She's your meat puppet. I just cut her straight. All right, Mark, what does this video clip say about Wanda's mental state and what she knew? Right. Well, so I think it says uh, there are three important things that come out of this video clip. Right. The first is the idea of knowledge. Um, if you look and look in particular around uh, Wanda, 27, watch this. Her, please. What are you doing to her? What are you doing to her? This is not, this is the last episode of the show. This is the end. She is confronted for the first time with the idea uh, that maybe she is in fact holding people hostage. And the look is one of complete confusion and shock, right? This is not someone who knows that she's doing this. This is somebody who is being confronted uh, with something uh, for the first time at the very end of the show. Uh, now, even if she did in fact know in some sense uh, by that point, um, it's not enough that you know. Uh, Colorado law also requires uh, that you be mentally fit to have the state of mind that the law re uh, requires. So a person who suffers from a condition of mind caused by mental disease or defect that prevents that person from forming a culpable mental state that is an essential element of the crime charged cannot be punished. All of these crimes require knowledge or willful behavior. So the question is, was she in fact, uh, did she in fact know she was keeping people uh, in Westview? And was she in fact capable of understanding what was going on, what, was she, what she was doing? We turn to an expert, Dr. Janina Scarlett, uh, a superhero therapist, uh, and she offered some interesting insights. She tells us that Ms. Maximoff suffers from complex uh, PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder uh, with dissociative symptoms. Why is that? Because for her entire life, she was exposed to regular torture and brainwashing. Uh, her only comfort consisted of watching reruns of family sitcoms. She watched the death of her brother. She was then forced to kill the only person she loved, the only person she'd confided in on a deep emotional level. Um, and having to kill Vision in order to stop Thanos was incredibly traumatic. She then disappears and in a blink of an eye from her perspective comes back and sees him killed again. Now, as all of this is text from uh, Dr. Scarlett's report, Dr. Scarlett's report notes, any one of the traumatic situations that Ms. Maximoff experienced would have been enough to trigger PTSD as well as a potential psychotic break. Um, that's particularly true in the circumstances in which she found herself and her ultimate conclusion this dissociative episode was a result of severe trauma and does not indicate deliberate actions. I will note that the prosecution's report, uh, which you saw only briefly at the end of the presentation, while it comes to the opposite conclusion, uh, cites some very interesting things. The prosecution agrees that she has PTSD. Um, it cites a statement in which she said, quote, did I do that? I didn't mean to, as evidence that she was, in fact, deliberately uh, engaged in this conduct. It seems to me that that shows the opposite. Right? She did not know. She wasn't capable of understanding what was going on. When, second thing the video shows, 
This was the last episode. She's confronted for the first time with the idea that she might be keeping people against their will. Not only does she look shocked, but within 15 minutes, she has opened the wall and let people out of Westview. The very first time she might mentally be possibly considering the idea that she's done something wrong, that she's kept these people uh, against their will, she turns around and lets them out, giving up the, the family and the situation that she's created. Finally, let's talk about the real perpetrator. Wanda was not capable of understanding the situation in Westview, but there was someone who was, Agatha Harkness. Agatha knew from the outset what was going on in Westview. She deliberately brought herself to Westview to confront Wanda. Unlike Wanda, who's just saved the world, Agatha's been evil for centuries. She clearly had control over what was going on in Westview. She killed Sparky the dog. She created Wanda's fake brother to traumatize Wanda. Uh, she was pulling the strings all along. And indeed, the third thing you see in the video we just saw is uh, her saying, she's your puppet, I just cut the strings, making it clear that Agatha has control over whether or not these people are in fact uh, uh, imprisoned. She has the power to release the citizens of Westview. But you don't have to believe us because Agatha confessed herself. Let's watch that confession. Pulling every evil string, Agatha all along. She's insidious. There she is. There she is, introducing new people. It's too late to fix anything now that everything has gone wrong. Thanks to Agatha, Ronnie Agatha. killed Sparky too. <laughs> when you see that confession, you have to ask yourself, why is it we're looking at trumped up charges of criminal copyright infringement and kidnapping against someone who clearly didn't know what she was doing? Why is the government persecuting a genuine hero suffering from PTSD? Shouldn't they be going after the real culprit? the person who knew from the outset what was happening to the people of Westview and who manipulated them for their own evil ends? We think so. So the first point I would like to address is the defense's essential theory um, covering all of the charges, which is in fact the only instance in which they address the first charge the prosecution discussed, which was false imprisonment. And that is the question of whether Ms. Maximoff was aware of and in control of her actions. Um, on this point, um, the uh, prosecution agrees that Miss um, Maximov is undoubtedly grief-stricken. She is suffering. We do not dispute that. We also agree that she has PTSD. However, something that the defense neglected to cover um, is what a dissociative episode is. And as the prosecution's expert explained in her report, a dissociative episode is time-limited. The defense's argument is, in essence, that Miss Maximov was in a continuous dissociative episode for nine days. And to clarify, while certain actions and coping actions 
reactions may be caused by someone attempting to avoid their trauma, including PTSD. That is different from being unaware of one's actions or not in control of one's actions as a result of that condition, which is known as the disassociative episode. Since this hex went on for nine days, it strains credulity to suggest that Ms. Maximov was in a continuous disassociative episode for that entire time. Even more, there has been uh, evidence presented at this trial to show that Ms. Maximov was aware of her actions at least by episode uh, five, in which she leaves the hex to confront federal agents, is confronted with the fact that she is holding a town hostage and refuses to let them go. She is also in the same uh, time period confronted by uh, her recreation of vision with the same charge um, and uh, essentially does not deny um, that she is in control and instead asks him, asks him to let her handle the situation. Um, I would also like to address uh, the defense's argument that there is, in fact, another perpetrator. Aside from a short musical number, there is no evidence that Agatha Harkness uh, was responsible for creating or maintaining the hex, um, and in fact engages throughout the entire uh, series of evidence that has been presented in attempting to, including by battle to the death, elicit from Ms. Maximov how she created and maintained the hex. Um, it is uh, clear from the evidence presented at trial that only one individual in the known universe would be capable of such a feat as the hex, and that is Ms. Maximov. Um, I would also like to briefly address the argument that she did not uh, physically coerce or threaten others. As we all know, we live in a universe with magic. Um, and uh, to you know, simply state that I did not use handcuffs, I did not physically restrain someone, I did not lock the door, is not good enough um, to, in a world in which we can essentially control people's minds and render them prisoners or puppets within their own bodies as a quick little analogy to what we can mechanistically describe. I would analogize this to, for example, chloroform or uh, scopolamine, also known as devil's breath, which renders a victim in essentially a hypnotic state um, uh, vulnerable to suggestion by their assailant. Um, finally, uh, the, since the defense has brought up the subject of Ms. Maximoff's character, um, I would like to point out that Ms. Maximoff's character is far from pristine. She joined a terrorist organization known as Hydra for the sole purpose of killing Tony Stark um, and was aware of Hydra's uh, uh, evil intent to target civilians, at least by the events of Winter Soldier. At the end of the day, this trial is not about whether or not Ms. Maximoff is a hero, though. This trial is about the rule of law, and even a hero is not above the rule of law. Thank you to our very distinguished advocates. Um, let's give them all a round of applause, virtually, physically, what have you. Um, this is not an easy verdict. So I will start with the only thing about the verdict that's easy, the criminal copyright count, which has not been proven because the element of commercial advantage has no evidence to support it. So I would dismiss the criminal copyright count. Um, I have to deal with the insanity defense and the standard about whether or not Wanda Maximoff was capable of understanding the impact of her actions. I have to say the point that Wanda did extend the hex is a hard one to um, let go of. And I do think that showed an awareness of what was happening. I'm not sure if it was a complete awareness and the evidence presented by Mark Lemley um, and the video was telling, but 
I can't quite reconcile her extending the hex with no awareness of what she was doing. So I am not going to rule on the insanity defense as a defense. As the clever argument that it was Agatha all along, I guess I can't quite say that Agatha's misdeeds justify actions by Wanda. Um, they are problematic. She should be put on trial. I think the animal cruelty trial is one where she has basically given her confession. So I look forward to that trial, but that's not relevant to the defendant in front of us. As for the defendant's prior actions as a hero, under the rule of law, not the rule of people, people need to be judged and held accountable for their actions, no matter who they are. And thus, that is not relevant. So now we're down to the last two points. Kidnapping, I will say the theory of mental kidnapping is a very novel one. And I'm not sure it has been proven effectively. So I will not convict on that charge. However, the false imprisonment is hard to come to terms with because people lost their ability to live their lives. And whether or not she was um, meaning to do some good for her, how she convinced herself is not at the level of insanity. It is sufficient in my judgment to be a criminal action on the sentencing phase, at that point, we can take account of her prior positive actions and maybe how she made some redemptive moves to stop her misdeeds. But nonetheless, I do find her guilty of false imprisonment. 